Aside from great food, there's one major thing that restaurants couldn't survive without, their customers. And throughout 2020, it has become even more abundantly clear that without their loyal fans and followers, many businesses would have been forced to close their doors forever. Most businesses rely on the repeat customer to keep them steady. And what came with this was a rise in a familiar trend, loyalty programs. These programs have given restaurants the opportunity to tangibly thank their customers for their business and keep them coming back with the goal of bringing in more profit. But as this trend continues to grow, how will it affect the future of the industry? And what's the difference between the loyalty program perks, traditional customer service, and all the data that's coming along with it? Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. According to Restaurant Technology News, online ordering increased by 44% last year. Though this may sound like an impressive feat, many of these purchases were completed through third-party food delivery apps, which is not surprising. Although the touch of a button accessibility may be nice for customers, many restaurants struggled to make a profit due to high fees from third-party delivery providers. Restaurants needed to get creative, and they needed to think of a quick solution in order to still retain customers, but in a remote capacity. Now that's where loyalty programs come in. This well-known system helps encourage customers to not only order directly through a restaurant's website or their brick-and-mortar establishment, but increase the overall spend by rewarding repeat business. These perks can be something as generic as buy five mils, get one free, or even a drink for a loyalty club member on the first Friday of every month. Whatever the perk is, these incentives give people that extra added reason to show up repeatedly and order from you. For restaurant owners who are looking to create a loyalty program, the real goal is to test what works for your customer base while assessing what will actually add revenue to your business. Generally, smaller restaurants can get more creative with their perks. For example, the Restaurant Flying Saucer offers a UFO membership. Yes, this is a real thing. This membership tracks the types of beer the customer drinks, and if the customer drinks 200 different types of beer, they get inducted into the Ring of Honor. Though the opportunity to become a part of the club costs just $18, it encourages beer drinkers to want to be immortalized into the exclusive club. Okay, wait, Zach, do you know about the UFO membership? I don't know the UFO membership directly, but there are so many different things like this in beer, having worked in beer for so long, like mugs, mug clubs and things like that. But this is very creative. And the fact that people shell out 18 bucks to do it, like good on them. Yeah, I mean, this is this is awesome. And the fact that they're named the Flying Saucer and they've really tied in the UFO aspect. I mean, well, maybe they'll be playing those new military videos of the UFOs now in, on the walls. I could see this becoming an entire restaurant pop-up experience. You know, 2021, we're the next phase away from just this whole thing blowing, the lid blowing off it. So I think it is pretty timely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Extraterrestrial life or not, once you found your perk, promote it through all of your channels. Without alerting your customers that there's an opportunity to get free stuff, the company really isn't going to gain from the promotion. For example, with the Flying Saucer UFO membership, once you pay your dues and become a part of the club, you're given an exclusive VIP-style t-shirt and a magnet, which serves to create an ad to that customer-style FOMO. Aside from offering exclusive perks, though, this growing attention to loyalty programs means that businesses have also increased their need for customer data in order to maximize the overall customer experience. But there's a difference between loyalty program and customer service data. That's right. Loyalty programs are created by the business and offer a free perk to repeat customers. Customer service data is when customers share personal information for a customizable experience. Those various key data points given by the customer to the business can then be used for targeted marketing and customer insights. Though this may sound a little invasive to some, this type of information can help to generate a restaurant's white glove experience. So, for example, let's say you're a person who prefers gluten-free bread and are allergic to dairy. By allowing a company to understand and utilize this information about you, they'll then be able to cater to your needs without you having to repeat yourself every time you want to order a meal. 
Essentially, it feels like you're being remembered by the business whenever you place an order. And for some people, this is A-plus customer service. I like to think of loyalty programs as part of the enhanced restaurant experience. It's all about a restaurant trying to treat their customers like their family or best friends. Zach, do you and your restaurants use any loyalty programs right now? You know, we do. We have a very limited one because we have a, a very retail heavy side. And um, that's, you know, it's for a long time. And it really does on the retail side, it pushes people to come and and to revisit. We sell crowlers, which are those 32 ounce cans of oh, beer. Yeah. Uh, and if you like buy five, you get one free. People love it. I didn't, I didn't honestly didn't think those gonna be that big of a deal because it's a considerable amount of beer, but it is a good deal because they don't cost that much money off the bat. So we have had other, like my business partner has a, a wine shop, a liquor store, two doors down from us. And on that side for retail, I guess retail is different than restaurant for customer loyalty because it's, it's kind of a pain to collect the data from people the way they have it set up. And it can kind of just like draw out the checkout experience. And I don't know, but on my side, I, I actually, I really enjoy using our loyalty program and we're actually planning on doing a lot more of it when we swing back into normal here. We want to do more pint clubs, do like a Monday, like a email blast happy hour. Thanks for being on the, on the email contact list. Here's like, you know, seven bucks towards a pint, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. That's going to be, you know, I think it's going to really drop people in. We tried it once right before the pandemic hit and it had a huge, huge, huge impact. Oh, so interesting. I, I think we're going to be doing more of those going forward. Yeah. I mean, they work for me from the diner perspective. I always get suckered in by double star day from Starbucks. And I think about it and I say to myself, wow, I get one free coffee because I spent oh, exactly and I get, you know, I get one free coffee because I spent $200 on Frappalappas and, uh, and, you know, for some reason it's worth it. It feels like I'm getting such a sweet deal. You're only human. You need to start a spreadsheet. I have friends who actually game it out on spreadsheets and do this honestly. And, and people wow. swear by it. You can get so much out of it. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's a level of commitment that I'm not quite sure I'm willing to do. But I always think of it like, yeah, really. it's one thing to laugh about saying like the double star days and stuff, but it, but it works, especially when it's something you see yourself getting every day, like not just coffee. There's a, there's an amazing mini chain in New York city called juice press. And the original spot just so happened to be located in between my walk home from the boxing gym I went to every morning. And I would always pull in there and get my morning smoothie juice. And I'd be thrilled when like, you know, a couple of weeks later I'd have enough points for free juice, even if I had spent hundreds of dollars. I was just like, oh my God, I get this free smoothie. I'm like, I'm, I'm a king. I feel so good. But and I also didn't want, didn't want to change up my routine. I'm like, I got to keep doing this. I got to keep dinging up those points. Gamify it. I mean, also they alert you to special things going on in the restaurant. I think that's the, or at the juice bar or at the coffee shop or whatever it may be. Like, because you're already signed up for these loyalty programs, it's like, kind of like the double star day, which I, I get that Starbucks is the king of these loyalty programs and theirs is always used as the example of what people should kind of mimic. But there's something about it. It's like, hey, because you're part of our membership club, you get exclusive access to this new beer or you get exclusive access to this new this new dish that, we, that we've got or you get first reservation time or something like that. I don't know. Little things like that, though, that I think really make people feel special and are part of that VIP extra experience. Everyone loves free stuff and everyone loves access. So honestly, using yeah. the, the channels like that, I think will keep people engaged. There are things, my inbox is so cluttered with stuff, but I won't unsubscribe from so many different emails for restaurants that I go to regularly because I want to know when I can go and like benefit from that. You know, like Sweet Green pummels my inbox and I won't unsubscribe <laughs> because yeah. I want to be able that loyalty program has me like hook, line and sinker. So Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, and, and again, too, it knows what I order. It knows what I like. 
So it's very much one of those things like I will sometimes get so excited. I forward the emails to my fiance and I'm like, look, the menu's Yeah. <laughs> so, which is just says a lot about me, but also I, <laughs> I think it's just really interesting. Restaurants are now we're like with every touch point with a customer, you get that access to be like, okay, this is what you like. This is what you want. I'm going to put more of this in front of you. Well, that's the other thing that I think is interesting about the whole, how loyalty programs are evolving and how they're taking, it's almost like they're taking that the customer experience with the wait staff or with your favorite bartender or with the, you know, like the waitress that, you know, and you always sit at her table or the waiter that you, you know, that you always recognize, they remember your orders. Right. And I think that the idea of these super powered loyalty programs and what they're going to evolve into is that like, they already know what you like and what to put in front of you. So, you know, they know that if I go in and I order pizzas, like I love you know, I love all the vegetarian pizzas or something. So like when they, when I go in, I should be alerted that, Hey, this week there's going to be a vegetarian pizza and we're debuting this truffle oil, something, whatever. I mean, they would get me on that. It's that, it's that little added touch. It's like the old Danny Meyer experience when he would like knows your birthday, if you're flying in from Chicago, like he always like one of those things. And people just are really floored by that. Uh, Nowadays, I guess it's less likely they'll be surprised that, you know, it's your birthday, but who's, who am I to turn down 10 free dollars to, you know, my favorite coffee shop because I'm a year older. I, I think it's great. Like when you can just tie these like stupid events in, you know, they're going to come in anyway, make them feel a little bit, a little better about it. And then it deepens the bond between you and the customer. It doesn't have to feel cheap or like you're paying someone off and it shouldn't be that you're losing your shirt on it either. Like we don't give out loyalty rewards. That's going to cost us in the end. You make money on them in the front, right? Like the whole idea is you incentivize people to spend more money. Right. And you just kind of looked at it as like an acquisition cost when you, price it out for kind of any product you have to give away. Exactly. So, but it's also, you can get super creative with it. Like the, like the UFO club, like the whole idea with this is like, it could be like a really great marketing opportunity mm-hmm. and also a way to bring in your customers. Like you get your picture up on the wall or anything sort of like that, that kind of even just like really ties you into the business even more. Like that's like in some cases physically, like uh, that's like a, that's a pretty cool concept. Yeah. I totally agree with what you said. I'm a big fan of the birthday ones. I will utilize any birthday deal that comes through on June 17th. Everyone mark your calendars. (laughs) I take my birthday very seriously. I mean, I will go in and then I'll buy a bunch of other stuff too. So I like what you said about, it's not just about the free stuff. It's just by getting, it's getting the customer in the door and then building off and getting them to rack up a tab. Oh, I will definitely be the one that does that. Everyone comes in to buy, you know, one pint or one one round of happy hour oysters. And then all of a sudden they're there for their second pint and their entree. Yeah. And that's the whole idea, right? It's like once they're there, they're going to spend their money. Uh, And honestly, they're probably happy to do so because like, and like even getting a little bit of a deal, they're already like feeling on a high. They're feeling good. So, and it doesn't really break the bank. Like if, if you're doing it right, you're not losing money on this stuff. Like you don't have to, you know, lose your shirt just to get people to come in the door. Um, it's just like to find the products that make sense to do it. And the occasions that it makes sense to do it, like the bars around here every once in a while used to have random days of the week where if it was your birth or if you, if it was your name, you could come and drink for free. Oh, and they're just like, go through a name book and like put it out there. Even dumb things like that. And, but you, you had to bring like two friends with you. Yeah. So, so that's really just like the old, they, they, they get you. They, they hook you in. That's right. I would say they're getting more and more creative. I can't wait till somebody decides that there's going to be a Claudia day and I can go in there and I'm going to buy everything. So <laughs> take note.
We are thrilled to have Daryl Ross of Grand Rapids, Michigan, 40 Acres Soul Kitchen on with us today. 40 Acres celebrates soul food's authentically American heritage and what it represents by inviting people from every culture to come together at the table to celebrate Black culture, community, and success. Beyond an incredible menu that includes tons of vegan-friendly soul food options, 40 Acres is having a huge impact on their community by encouraging dialogue around the rich history and heritage of Black Americans through food and culture. Daryl and his team are also supporting a more inclusive and opportunistic environment to bring about real change in their community through their local workforce efforts and hiring practices and investing their time and energy into socially responsible activities. Daryl, you and the 40 Acres team are doing so many incredible things. We're excited to talk about all of this and learn more. Thank you for joining us today. No, thanks for the invite. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. That's a great intro. I was like, man, who is that? (laughs) All right. It's my podcasting voice. So, Daryl, can you start by explaining the background of 40 Acres, how this all got started, and the story behind the name for those who might not be familiar? So the story behind the name, it's uh, based off of 40 Acres and a Mule. So in 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, which gave slaves uh, their freedom, although it's never celebrated in 1863 because it took a couple years to actually get to the ears of slaves. But with, with, with that proclamation, um, slaves were promised 40 acres and a mule um, and their freedom. So kind of playing off of that or, or actually honoring that, we wanted to do something very authentic when it came to um, soul food and, and very something very authentic when it came to um, our brand and, and what's more authentic than, than 40 acres. So we landed on 40 acres and, and we felt, you know, those that were less informed would just think this was farm to table. So, you know, we figured that the name won on both sides. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So how did you get into the restaurant business? What made you decide that you wanted to create this? Hmm. Um, I've always been a community organizer, a, a serial entrepreneur, um, and a developer friend of mine was uh, doing this new development um, in the neighborhood I grew up in, which is heavily gentrifying. And we were always saying, you know, what if we could have a very high-end Black restaurant there, Black-owned and, and so forth. And through those conversations, a lot of blessings um, and some angel capital, we were able to launch 40 Acres. And we wanted to be really intentional uh, from the beginning about the culture, the Black culture, um, which a lot of people really don't don't think about or, or you know, what is Black culture. So if you think about food, food brings people together in ways that that's really cheap, easy, and, and invite you to different people's culture. I love Thai food. I've never been to Thailand. You know, you go to a Chinese restaurant and from the menus and everything, it's it's the culture. So we really wanted 40 Acres to feel that culture. When you walked into 40, we wanted it to be, you know, to feel that Black culture, the community. So the art on the wall from kids and, you know, local photographers down to the menu selection, down to, you know, hiring from the community. It's really just uh, an intentionality to celebrate blackness um, and to exceed everybody's expectations. So, you know, you come in for good food, but, you know, you, you get so much more. Um, you get community, you get culture, you get great service. Uh, and yeah, so in the last three years, we've really worked hard um, and been honored to be, you know, a, a, what's become really a pillar of, of the Southeast yeah. side in Grand Rapids community. Yeah. So I, I, Noticed when I was doing some research on you online, is this your first, this isn't exactly your first foray into the food world though, right? Like you've done some stuff in kitchens or and worked in restaurants before, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I failed. I failed miserably before in in, in the restaurants, which I think everybody has. Oh, so you would be a restaurateur if you haven't. You got you got to yeah. Got to go through that story we hear over <laughs> and over <Yeah>. again. <laughs> um, um, me and me and a guy named Jeremy co-founded um, a a local nonprofit link up, which was about community advocacy, economic development, affordable housing, and so forth. And part of that venture we had a restaurant, the Link Up Cafe. So that was kind of, yeah, our first dive into restaurants and our first dive into, you know, hiring from the community and, and so forth. And our first time owning a restaurant. So we just thought, you know, hey, we got some good recipes. People are here. We can we can do this. So I jokingly yeah, made all my mistakes there prior to opening 40. Was that one also soul food? It was. It was. Um, same really the same, the general manager there is still the general manager here. Mm-hmm. So kept everything still in the family, same community. Um, but yeah, and, and he actually is now co-owner. Oh, interesting. Great. So you're born and bred. You said you're you're raised in Grand Rapids, right? Yes, sir. So I was wondering, do you, do you talk a lot about the, the location meaning a lot in your restaurant? Like you, do you grew up in the area where 40 Acres opened up and, and what's the What's been what's it been like working in the community that you grew up in and, and you're now an active part in? I mean, you said you're you're a community activist by trade for a long time, but this this is a different interaction, I imagine. Yeah, it's great. I mean, this place or where Forty Acres actually occupies now, way way long time ago, used to be a McDonald's and the old only McDonald's in the black community. So I remember riding my bike here and so forth. So yeah, to and again to be in ground zero of gentrification of what was historically black thriving neighborhood, now to be one of less than three or four uh, black owned businesses left, um, it's, it's really an honor to 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 work and serve in your hometown. Now again, I'm a chronic entrepreneur um, and, and grand rapidian, so I don't know where else I would be. Uh, but yeah, it, it it's no place I'd rather be than the southeast side of Grand Rapids. And I think our concept works great here. Isn't your business partner from New York? I thought I read that. Yeah, yeah. So that's Lewis. Lewis is uh, born and raised in New York, full restaurant experience, uh, suffered with me through the, the Link Up Cafe. And then again, we came in and, and really this was both of our brainchilds. Uh, so yeah, he's always behind the scenes making the, making the magic happen. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So I want to talk about some of some of the food and um, your menu. D- talk to us more about the history of soul food and what authentic soul food means to you and your team. Yeah, soul food at, at its roots, I guess, literally is, is about ingredients, right? It, it's, it's about making something from nothing. It, it, it's whether it's the discarded piece of meat or, you know, the, the, the tart uh, greens or that starts off a tart um, and, it, and it's we always say jokingly but very seriously and then it's cooked with a lot of love so I mean it's traditional food that I grew up on a lot of people call it comfort food yeah those I guess well less informed may call it southern southern you know what I mean but southern again was mm-hmm. when you had the luxury of the pick of the stock and the, the, the pick of the animal so I mean it's about ham hocks and and, and collard greens, and we have shrimp and grits. Um, we have po' boys. Um, so again, really all of your staples and classics. Um, and I and I can't forget, you know, of course, fried chicken and and, and, and fried fish. 
a lot of things also that people don't realize is most of our food is 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 healthy in in the beginning, right? So it's it's the addition of these ingredients. So we're able to pull off a great vegan soul line mm-hmm. because again, the greens are greens, right? <laughs> they're they're either black eyed peas or black eyed peas. <laughs> so you, you not only do we have this great soul food um, for those that are that are more inclined to eat healthier. The vegan soul is available, and again, really, really, I would argue is, is the stripped down soul as much as it goes. It's just you know three, four ingredients um, cooking all day, seasoned up, and in the back of the house. So, Daryl, I actually, I, I read that you're a vegan yourself. I mean, I, I'm just curious, like how that came about for you, or if it's something that you decided to do a long time ago. How it's affected, you know, what you're putting on the menu, what, like how it influenced anything. Yeah. Um, Full disclosure, I, I'm I'm failing miserable at it. Um, I, I had a good run. I had a, I had a good run yeah. when um, pre-COVID, because you know I'm always at the restaurant. And oh, you yeah. always have vegan food, and it's available, and it ta- and it tastes great. Yeah. Um, but sure. yeah, that is I've been on the struggle bus lately with that one. But yeah, so I, I'm I'm a recovering vegan, I'm trying to get back to vegetarian. But again, I think. That also highlights the importance of having, you know, great local restaurants in, in communities, right? Like even myself didn't have access, you know, when we were closed for COVID. Um, so to be able to offer that and change people's eating habits. And increasingly, it, it's crazy. It's, it's more and more people are just preferring the vegan over, over the soul food. And again, there's really very, very little difference in taste when yeah. done right. But, but check back with me in, in six months. And I'll let you know how my <laughs> my vegan struggles are going. <laughs> we talk about this a lot. I think a lot of people are trying to push more towards doing it themselves. And I yeah, think that's do. why a lot of menus on restaurants look like yeah. they're headed that way. And I don't fault you for slipping on it, especially after the last year, because I know I was at a certain point, I mean, probably like a dozen points being like, okay, stop eating this way. Got to get back to being healthy. You used to eat vegetables. What's wrong with you? Right. But uh, no, that's that's really cool. So, but it seems like, yeah. Yep. I mean, I've gone through your menu and things like that. It does seem like you said, like there, it, there's a way to prepare this food. Like the menu doesn't seem like it's like intentionally vegan, like, like in a lot of ways. Right. It's just one of those things that could be executed in a vegan way. Yeah. And we have, you know, off off menu vegan things for our, our, our ride or die vegans. Like we have the a killer vegan chicken sandwich that's that's not on the menu. Good to know. Yeah, so it is it is it is funny how yeah, I don't know if my palate um, evolved with the restaurant or the restaurant is a view on, on what I'm eating currently. But <laughs> I, I think in general, because we have so many options, we can just play off of so many fun things. Like even our, our take on peach cobbler is now done as a soul roll. So we had a we came up with a soul roll. Oh. Um, which is a lot of the soul food staples um, fried up in an egg roll. And now we do the same uh, with our peach cobbler. So, yeah, it's about how so we still have fun in the kitchen um, with those same ingredients. But again, we want to exceed your expectations, um, both in presentation and in atmosphere and everything else when you walk into 40 acres. I love that. And I love that you provide so many good options. And by the way, Daryl, I also had this problem during COVID being at home and realizing I was two blocks away from Portillo's, which probably has some of the best all beef and Chicago dogs around here. Oh, yeah. Deadly, very deadly <laughs> for my vegetarian. That would be suicide for me. <laughs> yeah, for my quest oh, to be remain a vegetarian and slowly ease my way into veganism. So uh, I understand. <laughs> Although I will say, I don't care what, what I'm eating like in a couple of months, if I find myself in Grand Rapids, I'm coming through for the flight of grits. Definitely. I'm so excited to try what that sounds like. 
Definitely. Sounds good. So You Want to Run a Restaurant is powered by Back of House, the leading independent platform for independent restaurant operators to find, filter, and save on the technology they need to succeed. If you haven't checked them out yet, you need to head to backofhouse.io. All of their resources are free, and don't forget to subscribe to the free weekly newsletter while you're there. This is honestly one of the best weekly restaurant industry roundups that I've ever seen. Their incredible team of writers cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you actually need to see every week. It's built for restaurant operators and those in the industry and full of important industry news, expert perspectives, and special offers on cutting-edge restaurant technology. Follow Back of House on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other channels. Our love of our love of impossible burgers, though, Zach. I feel like the sole possible burger is probably something else we're gonna need to we're gonna need to split up into two and try as well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give you a sample of the whole menu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were wondering a lot about that. So your menu in general, how do you come in with a concept like soul food? Because it, it is something that you said is really informed by your experiences growing up and eating. But what like came to, like, how did it come together as a menu uh, coherently? What, what did you guys do as a team to think these things through? We worked with a great chef, uh, Tramel Hawkins, in, in the beginning. And he really helped curate our menu. Um, so it was, again, really taking the traditional staples of, of Black community um, and, and twisting them and, and seeing the best way that, that we can serve it. So, for instance, we at the time had chicken gizzards. Uh, and, and historically, you know, you fry gizzards, you throw them on a uh, white bread, uh, maybe with some mayo or whatever. So we had a deconstructed uh, chicken gizzards where we had the gizzards and... Um, the actual white, we had a white bread dip. So again, just really being creative with the menu, really sitting down. And then over time though, quite candidly, it's been an exercise of making sure we're sticking to the roots. So, you know, I think you you, you can kind of get over creative with your craft as well. And, and you know, we found ourselves doing Cajun soft shell lo- lobster or crab, soft shell crab. And, and, you know, like, really? Is that really soul food? So, you know, I, I, I think now the new menu that we're launching, that we just launched, is really a refinement of what we have found customers want, what we have found really represents authentic soul food. Um, and then again, a way to boost up and, and, and make prevalent the, the more vegan options and so forth. So um, we think we got it right this time, but it's about the fourth menu iteration. So yeah. in three years. I was going to say, well, that's again, for the restaurant experience, it's good that four, four iterations of the menu in a couple of years is really not bad. So yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, so I, I, I never had a passion to be this big restaurant tour. So yeah, I don't know, like benchmarks and all that. So I'm always asking Lou, like, is this good? Is this bad? So, yeah. <laughs> you're still here. You're doing something right. That's like me asking Zach on the podcast. Zach, I have not personally owned a restaurant, so I need you to back me up on some of this because you know what it's like to go through liquor licensing laws. I don't. Um, no. <laughs> you still have your sanity. That's right. That's right. Some of it. Sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes only. Instead of 15 years added to your life. I actually, speaking of liquor licenses, I understand you work. I, I'm, I'm really cu- curious about your beverage operation. I heard you guys have a, a really cool thing going there. Yeah, we have a cognac bar. Um, so again, in the black community, cognac is is a traditional drink that we use to celebrate. And 
that's our go-to Hennessy, um, VSOP or, or the like. So we really, again, wanted it to be rooted in, in our authentic culture. So um, we looked around, there was not any cognac bars. So our goal is to have, I mean, we already have um, in West Michigan and probably Michigan, the widest variety of cognacs. Um, but yeah, we're, we're steadily adding. Uh, we took a hit at COVID and now liquor supplies are down, but um, people come a, a lot just for the drinks. And then our drink menu is, is also modern. I mean, we probably, the drink menu is probably something we had the most fun with is just coming up with, with the names and, and those mixes. Um, and not, now that was all based on just buyer experiences. So the bad and the bougie. Yeah. And do, I saw as well that you have a lot of partnerships with black owned wineries. Can you talk to us about the those partnerships and others that you've created that other operators listening might learn from? Yeah, and I don't know if they're official partnerships, but we make sure that we carry uh, black wines. Um, again, bringing mm-hmm. bringing light to that. Um, a lot of people just don't know that there are black wineries. Um, and when we when we started, it was hard to even find some. Um, we had you know the bride sisters and so forth. But now increasingly. Um, we're getting more options, uh, and yeah, we we run specials once a week on our black-owned wineries. But yeah, it's, it's another intentionality we wanted to bring in um, and make sure again that we're that we're celebrating uh, what's best of the black community and black culture. Shifting over to some of the sustainability that you that your uh, that your team is working on, I know that you're not only looking at sustainability through the traditional lens, but more of that people-focused lens. Can you talk to us more about some of your hiring initiatives? And I know you're doing great work in the community with that. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny when we talk about sustainability, and again, because we're in a gentrifying area with like hot yoga and, and poodles running up and down the street, <laughs> I used to joke, like, if I... Uh, if, if I ever walked out and served the customer some in styrofoam, they'd probably like egg my building and boycott, but nobody would ever ask me if they came in here and no black people were working. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just always odd that people are always talking about sustainability, but you don't look at sustaining the, the area around your business or sustaining the community in which, you know, you're serving. So one of the things we make sure we do is, is hire from the community. So a lot of our employees walk to work, um, it, it's it's and it just makes business sense. I mean, if if we, we have a great culture, we try to have a great culture. We look for great people. Um, people like to work in the neighborhoods they live in. They like convenience. Um, so yeah, to us, it, it just makes sense. And, and for some reason, quite candidly, you know, I, I attract black applicants. So who knew? So, so everybody's always asking me like, what's the secret? Like, I don't know, maybe being black. So. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, we never we never have a problem with diversity hiring or yeah or any of that. Um, but but the local piece the local piece is huge um, from a hiring perspective. Did I know that a lot of folks um, in the industry and Zach? I know we've talked about this a lot. For your restaurant, have had trouble hiring and retaining employees. Did you did you find that because you had those support systems and that you you had kind of a different take on this on the the way your people focused lens that you didn't have as many issues. Yeah. We're not hundred percent open yet. So I'm going to knock on wood, but yeah, I don't foresee having those issues. And we were just talking about it today. Mm-hmm. I think we're having the wrong conversation. If, if we're not finding workers, maybe we need to start asking ourselves why we're so dependent on our economy with low wage workers. So our intention is to pay people living wages yeah. and take care of them and treat them right. And 
Yep. I'm gonna gamble that we're not gonna have problems with with staffing and so forth. But but again, like um, if it, it says it says more to me as a business owner than the person, right? If, if somebody's choosing not to work over two hundred dollars a week, then I'm doing something wrong as a business owner. That person isn't isn't inherently wrong for staying right. home. Very very right. much feel you on that. Have you noticed? Uh, speaking of COVID, though, and like the past year and change, which you know we've been through a lot as a country, but and as a world. But I just from a restaurateur, from a restaurateur, what what's it been like for you? Like what have, what we all had to make such major changes, and we all had those crazy fears. But I'm just always curious to talk to anyone else who lived through it from my point of view to see like what what it was like. How how did it go for you? I mean, overall, it was an experience. I think. Um... So, you know, the first week when we were shut, like, oh, man, you know, we might be actually shut for a month. And then, you know, to fast forward to a year, um, I think we did something that was very uncharacteristic of us. And we just chilled out, (laughs) you know, so we didn't try to push it. We didn't try to force it. I don't have a model that works on 50 percent. I don't know how to be 30 percent of 40 acres. So. We we closed a lot of the time, um, and then maybe six seven months in, we brought in curbside and to go when we when when Michigan partially reopened, um, and even today we're just now starting to open the dining room um, and, and with pop ups and so forth. So to to us, we we've, we've used the time to innovate. You you saw a lot of to go ordering in the business, and now all of a sudden, you know, it went from plating these beautiful plates to you know a kid throwing your your meal in the back of his car and delivering it to somebody. So really looked at it, I mean, from a, like even like a UXCX standpoint of our branding and how when you're at forty at home now, how does that look when you open that box? And we re, we did a lot with with the brand, a lot with with packaging a lot of technology, kitchen upgrades, um, refine the menu. So we really tried to maximize the time um, to, to prepare ourselves for what was next in reopening versus, you know, trying to swim, swim upstream and, and, and stop what was clearly something uh, bigger than us. So, yeah, so I, I think on the other side of it, if I dare say that, I, I think our business is, is stronger and more innovative because of it. But I mean, now we just have a whole new set of challenges, right? So whether that's food shortages or, you know, labor or, you know, cost, whatever. Yeah. What, what do you think we're all going to change as a result of this? I think inevitably that's just the way things are going to going to be. But kind of like I always use this adage, but like once there's been a fire or a flood, you don't put everything back where it was, you put it back where it should have been. Is there anything that you learned through this that you think you're going to carry forward, like do, do differently in the future? Like new tools, new new ideas, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think curbside is here to stay. I think the more blended model of, of increasing catering and to-go. I mean, we were already had a pretty strong to-go, and we had originally opened a, a to-go and take out a month before we even originally opened the dining room before we got our liquor license. So that, that piece, I think, is huge. I think restaurants... Um, outdoor space will now be just the thing, right? I mean, people are literally willing to sit in a clear ass shed in 20 degrees and have dinner. So it, it's, I think outdoor space is something. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other thing is just sound business. I think the restaurants that will make it had a year to just just look at their business, refine it. Um, and I think I think you're just going to have a lot more wiser um, 
restaurant owners, um, if that's such a thing. Um, and this is the restaurant business. So, I mean, we have something. If it wasn't COVID, something else would have hit. It's always something, right, Zach? No kidding. Yeah, no, it's true. Different different year, different crisis. But I think you're right. I'm glad to see your right. positivity on it is key. I think a lot of the people who made it through are the ones who kind of saw it like you did. is bigger than us. And so much of the last year was a humbling act. Yeah. And a terrifying humbling act at that. I mean, there's personal safety for, you know, your customers and your employees to be worried about. But it, I do think you're, I agree with you. I think so much is going to be different in the next couple of years, not out of necessity, just because I think we know better now. Yeah. And, and I think people now have a business model that's, that's very flexible, right? So we can shut down and still be online. You know, you can dictate the pace of your your to go and you know close your dining room i think the other thing is the restaurant business pre-covid was pretty aggressive right i mean as far as meeting customer demands and there if you even if you lost money on tuesday you had to be open on tuesday Mm -hmm. you had to be you had to pay to play per se i think what covid did is a huge reshift and really gave restaurant owners now um, you'll see restaurants that are open Saturday and Sunday or dinner only. Um, so we're better able to now align our business model and, and be more profitable. Um, and, and people are understanding and appreciative of that, right? You, you Nobody's complaining that, you know, we used to be open Tuesday to Sunday. Now we're only open Thursday to Sunday. Um, there's more just appreciation that at least you guys are opening again. So I think restaurants um, will take advantage of that too uh, and, and really again but areas that are not profitable areas that weren't productive I, I, I think you'll see all of that fat slimmed. I was going to say I think that in general there's a greater appreciation for restaurants during COVID and I think that even you know with all of the home cooking and I think you know I, I did so many takeout orders throughout COVID and I I tried to donate wherever I could. And I think just trying to do my part to support restaurants and restaurant workers in general and some of those funds. And I think that I hope at least that some of the sentiment towards that has has grown with diners and has become more of a, I don't know, a positive outlook on that. So so I want to talk a little bit more about some of the social impact work that you and you and your team are doing. I know you mentioned Link Up earlier. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and some of the work that's that's been that's going on there? Yeah, so so Link again exists to do affordable housing and connect that to economic development and advocacy and education. Um, but education probably with a small e, just understanding the history and power of your neighborhood, the the power of voice and so forth. Um, so about fifteen years ago, twelve years ago, uh, Jeremy and I co-founded that. It was a smaller affordable housing organization, but really just Mm -hmm. thousands of hours of community work and so forth. I actually left there about four years ago and now I'm part of Start Garden, which um, is same same vision, but doing more of the business startups. So we're responsible for over, you know, funding over a hundred local businesses per year get them off the ground going to predominantly uh, mostly women and minority owned uh, businesses and, and uh, predominantly all local businesses. So still taking the, the economic development goals that we developed back then and, and taking it to, to a whole nother level in the startup space around town. Mm-hmm. What kind of, so what kind of businesses is it? I'm assuming it's not just restaurants. It's, it spans the gamut. No, you know, no. Yeah. So it started off uh, as, as tech businesses actually. And now um, we really just 
do any business. So like once a month we have what's called five by five, where if you're an entrepreneur, you have five minutes in front of five judges to win $5,000. So kind of like a local shark tank. We have a hundred, I, uh, Star Garden 100, which we just launched, which will give a hundred entrepreneurs a thousand dollars. We'll give them about a 90 day runway. Then we have a big demo day where they all come out and 10 of them win $20,000. Um, so again, the irony is we've probably, we've created more tech companies since doing that, but it's really about seeding ideas and, and, and seeding opportunities locally um, and, and watching people go. So I think a lot of times when people don't see minority owned businesses or they don't see women owned businesses, they think it's a capacity issue and we just think it's an access and, and financial issue, right? So a lot of nonprofits focus on giving you classes and teaching you QuickBooks and how to budget. Um, we don't think again that the lack of access means lack of capacity. So we believe in putting dollars right into entrepreneurs' hands and, and letting them take a run at it. And it's it's worked phenomenally well. That's awesome. Is there a, is there any as a couple in particular that you've seen do really well come out of that? Yes, but then I'd be biased. And every time I every time I say a company, it's like <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. we knew you were. But we did. We had yeah. an exit. Um, we had a guy last year won the one hundred. He won the twenty thousand dollars. He won five by five, and we put uh, match made him with a another tech person, and they just sold their company for undisclosed uh, multi million dollar amount. So, wow, um, that's awesome! Yeah, and it's a Grand so Rapids it's, business. It's, it's a local. Grand Rapids business, local business. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, started from an idea all the way to an exit. So that's what we're. Yeah. So so he would be the poster child uh, candidate, and that, that was Lawn Bot. Um, yeah. That is awesome. As someone that worked in the startup industry for a long time with entrepreneurs, I love hearing those kinds of success stories. So that's great. Pretty phenomenal. And the support of the, the local community. So, what are your hopes for the future? And um, is there anything, like any projects in the that are upcoming? Do you have any? plans what's up for the restaurant tell us what's next yeah um so so it's funny so 40 acres actually existed before 40 acres soul kitchen so 40 acres enterprises was kind of this um umbrella organization that, that we created what five six years ago now and it was always going to be to do like real cool collaboratives um with the the best of the best and black talent so uh, the Soul Kitchen was the first project we launched. Um, so we're kind of known for 40 Acres Soul Kitchen, but there's a 40 Acres development. We have 40 Acres House of Cannabis opening up. So we'll have uh, a couple of the first two Black-owned dispensaries um, in the area, knock on wood. We still have to go to planning. And, and really taking the 40 Acres restaurant to the next level. Um, yeah, we're, we're always building and growing um, and delivering the best the best of, of black talent and best projects around West Michigan. I love that. And do you think that we're going to start seeing more 40 acres pop up around the United States? Any, any plans to expand come to Chicago, maybe that, that is the rumor. Um, we've definitely, oh. definitely been approached, um, for, for multi locations and Chicago actually has come up. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, again, we've had a long, long time, a year to like retool, regroup, so we're open to all options. We definitely have a model that we feel could be successful in any market. 
um, is based on food and, and workforce that's always available and that everybody loves. So yeah, who knows? Well, thanks so much, Gerald. This has been an awesome conversation. Where can people find more information about you and learn more? Yeah, you can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, of course, at 40acresgr. And then our website is 40acresgr.com. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Thank you. Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, eat.news. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at boh underscore podcast and at we are back of house on all other platforms. <laughs>